We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie, and I'm recording this on Sunday, December 3rd. You guys are probably listening to this on Monday. Uh, I'm recording this via Spaces on Twitter, so if there's any request for listener questions, I can get to those as well. As we get into this, we wanted to make sure if you haven't given us a review on Apple Podcasts, uh, we'd appreciate it. Take one minute out of your day. Uh, because it helps us get noticed even more. So on today's episode, I'm going to recap the game between the Hornets and the Timberwolves and then get into some questions that were sent in via Substack and via Twitter at the tail end of this. And I'm not going to spend too much time on the game on Saturday night between the Hornets and the Timberwolves uh, because some of the questions deal with bigger picture stuff that could also relate to this game. But the final score between Charlotte and Minnesota, Charlotte loses by six points, 117-123. Some of the uh, bigger players for the Minnesota Timberwolves were Rudy Gobert scoring 26 points, 12 rebounds. Nas Reed had 23 points, five rebounds, two assists. He can definitely do some things with the ball in his hands. Uh, He's a little bit more versatile, I think, than just by looking at him. And then uh, Carl Anthony Towns, had a big game as well, posed a lot of problems for the Hornets, scoring 28 points, seven rebounds, and having five assists. And so Minnesota, despite not having Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels, they were still able to pull this win off in Charlotte. Uh, They have been one of the more overlooked stories of the season. And heading into the game against Charlotte, they had the best defense in the league. With the way that they play and the personnel that they have, they they really limit teams' attempts at the rim, and they force you into difficult shots. Go bear on the back line really makes you second guess and hesitate, and and um, you know maybe pull off a shot that you're not normally wanting to take. And with his length and his positioning, it can definitely frustrate opposing teams. And the Hornets looked like they were frustrated at points as they were getting closer to the basket. So I just wanted to go over quickly a couple of player notes that I had on this game. And then, like I mentioned, I'll get to some, some Q and a at the end of this all Terry Rozier uh, finished with 23 points, six rebounds, 
seven assists, and really just one turnover, which was awesome to see. Uh, he's doing a pretty decent job of attacking the paint, holding defenders off with his eyes and making those kickout passes. I know he is not LaMelo Ball by any stretch of the imagination, but he's got to fill in for the point guard duty. And with him being an off-ball player, a guy that, that stretches the court, uh, he's doing a pretty decent job filling in. And he'll never be LaMelo. And I think the offense is fairly distinct with LaMelo in there versus Rozier. But I think his aggression and his score-first nature, Rozier's trying his best to leverage that into like distribution. And as I mentioned, of those seven assists, three came to Bridges and two of those came to P.J. Washington. He had his three-point shot working against Minnesota. I think he really turned it on in the fourth quarter, had nine points in the final period. He tried to keep Charlotte in it as best as he can. And, you know, I mean, maybe his overall efficiency wasn't the greatest just because of the volume of shots that he's required to take to put up with the lack of other shooters on this team and other scores, and especially with ball absent. But, you know, with the way that the game was close towards the end, he was the one guy that that made some timely shots. Uh, Gordon Hayward, a very interesting game for Gordon Hayward. He finished with 17 points on 71.5 true shooting percentage. Like if you were to look at the whole game from start to finish, it's he, he came in waves. The second quarter was awesome for him, and it was probably the best quarter for any Hornets player in the game. The problem was he didn't carry that momentum over to the second half. He had his mid-range shot working in the second period, and he even had this like one-legged runner from like the free throw line that looked very similar to what Lamella would do. But probably his best make of the game, actually, I talked about this earlier about Gobert frustrating players. He drove right at Gobert following a pick-and-roll with Mark. Gobert's dropping. He attacks him. He doesn't second-guess. He plants hard with his inside foot, fades to hit another shot in the quarter. And I think, I want to say it was 13 points in the second quarter and him finishing with 17 points overall. I think, you know, he needs to carry that momentum on and, and not find himself in places where he goes cold or absent or defers for periods of time, but that second quarter was awesome to watch, and he didn't didn't shy away from Gobert in that situation. Miles Bridges, uh, like Hayward, probably more effective in the first half, but he still had a productive game for the Hornets. Finished with twenty two points, three rebounds, four assists. He's the one guy on this roster that continues to show like more stuff off the dribble in his game, and that's just something that we've come you know to get to used to with him. He's also going to be able to get to the rim and draw fouls. He drew a couple fouls in this game. He's pretty good from the free throw line as well. And he was 4-5 or five in the restricted area. But I will say, just like most players in the NBA, he struggled to defend Carl Anthony Towns at moments in this game. You know, It's to be expected, and the size and the shooting and the passing of Carl Anthony Towns like, gave this team trouble, and they really didn't have an answer. And there were times when they went to like a big to big pick and roll where Carl Anthony Towns like threw a lob to Gobert. And that, that's just very difficult to defend because of that initial screening action with Gobert. And it puts the team behind the eight ball. And Carl Anthony Towns just drives downhill and, and lobs it up. I think that happened at least two times uh, Saturday against the Timberwolves. And then the other notable performers, PJ Washington, 
Ish Smith, I think, had a good game. Brandon Miller had a good game. Miller finished with 14 points, five rebounds, three assists, and 36 minutes of play. Ish Smith finished with six points, four rebounds, five assists, and 16 minutes of play. And then P.J. Washington, 18 points, seven rebounds, five assists. So they lose this one, drop their record to 6-12. and 12. It was a game where it felt like they could have had you know, the victory at certain moments in this game. And we're even leading in the fourth quarter, but Minnesota's persistence on the boards and, you know, scoring on those second chance opportunities. They were eight of 11 on second chance field goal attempts. That was one of the biggest reasons why they won this game. And I will say that Clifford, I think even mentioned this in the post game press conference, but the Hornets just didn't seem to get those 50, 50 calls to go their way. There was a three-point foul on Rozier in the fourth quarter where it did go the Hornets' way, and the review probably went on way too long for that to be decided. But it, it, it did seem like some of those 50-50 calls leaned a little bit in Minnesota's favor. And, you know, Hornets need anything and everything to kind of get that momentum to shift in their way. But in reality, I think it comes down to the defense and the defensive rebounding. And if they can't get that figured out, they are what they're trying to do is they're trying to outscore teams. That's how they're playing. I mean that that worked somehow against Brooklyn a couple games ago, but it didn't work against Minnesota. Their defensive side of the court just is not putting up a fight. And that's that's what it's going to come down to with Clifford being a defensive-minded coach, he's going to get frustrated and he was frustrated after the game with the way and the effort they put on that end of the court. So uh, Timberwolves made down, made plays down the stretch on both ends of the court, uh, but especially on the boards. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we'll get to the listener question segment. I got a question coming in from Keith via our Substack. He asks, what is the issue with the defense? Whenever I think it's one thing, then another thing pops up like whack-a-mole. This team is going to go nowhere near the playoffs where they 
and the entire organization said they want to be, what's the fix? I think the biggest thing that the biggest issue that Charlotte has is they have a lot of players who can't or won't keep the ball in front. And sometimes it doesn't take a lot for the offense to grab a, a really quick initial advantage early in the shot clock. And because of that, I think it puts our players in constant rotations. And once the rotations start, naturally for any team, not just the Hornets, it increases the likelihood that a mistake will happen. It's, it's much easier to make a switch on a mismatch with a rotation with like six seconds left on the clock where you've got the clock working for you. When that happens five seconds into the shot clock, you know, you're at a constant disadvantage for the rest of the possession. And so when I think of defenders on this team that have shown promise on the perimeter, it's very hard to pick. Like, I, I'm not even sure you can really point to a player on this team that is a guy that is going to consistently be a good perimeter defender. Rozier, for the most part of the season, has been tasked with the point of attack uh, probably more than anyone, but that still has produced mixed results. I think his size is definitely a limiting factor in how good he can be and how he can navigate screens. So again, if he's your point of attack defender, it doesn't always end up in the best position. Brandon Miller, he's just a rookie, and he has strength concerns. He gets pushed back uh, when trying to guard, you know, multitude of players, even point guards, like they can get into his body. Miles Bridges, he has the tools, but just because of the nature of his position, he's not necessarily guarding the point guard. He's more of the back line and, and defending players in the paint, rotating for weak side uh, blocks and contest. You know, I, I think he'd be an okay option as a point of attack defender, but then if he is the guy that's guarding the point guard, that just throws off the rest of the team in, in terms of how they have to shift around and, and guard who, so then they give up size on the back end. Bryce McGowan's he's got youth, and he's shown some flashes as an on-ball defender, has active feet, but again, he lacks the strength. So I think we're kind of noticing a, a theme here, like the physicality, the strength of these players just doesn't hold up over time. And I think the effort and the communication, that is something that can be preached by Clifford over and over again. But until the team buys in, uh, they're never going to reach their full potential on that end. And, and like I mentioned before, it's, it's almost like they're just trying to outscore opponents. And their offense isn't good enough for them to outscore opponents, especially with LaMelo out of the uh, the rotation because of injury. So even then, even with him in the in the lineup, uh, it's, it's very difficult. So they've got to do the small things on defense because physically and personnel-wise, they don't have it. Okay, The personnel, they don't have what it takes to keep opposing teams from getting in that initial advantage. And so that requires a lot of communication, which I don't really see slash hear from all that much on the defensive side. So I do think it's a personnel issue. I do think it's like a buy-in issue and, and kind of the focus and attention to detail. So is there a fix for the defense? Probably not until there are more buy-in from everyone, but also just getting better players and more physical players out on the perimeter. All right, the next question comes from at Sean underscore C. Analysts noted pre-draft that Miller would need to change his three-point shot trajectory 
and saying the shot was too flat. Does it look like to you that he's getting more arc on his three-point shot? Wonder if that could be leading to some of his inconsistency from three. So I actually went back and watched some of his misses from behind the arc earlier in the season because this was a question that I was really unaware of. I didn't realize that that was one of the knocks on Brandon Miller. So to be honest, like I didn't see that being the issue. Like he was short on some of his shots, but just because you're short doesn't mean that your shot is flat. And this question was definitely sent in prior to the recent surge of shooting from behind the arc from Brandon Miller. And I don't think that's the reason. I don't think it's because his shot was flat. I just don't think they were going in. But in these last five to six games, Miller has been shooting the ball much better and doing it on a higher volume as well. So I just think it took some time to kind of slowly grasp the the pro game and feeling his way out with his role. But I look these numbers up, excluding the Timberwolves game, the last five games, he's shooting 54% on above the break threes. That's a 27% increase from the first 10 games of the season. He's shooting 50% from the corners. That's a 28 percentage point increase from the first 10 games of the season. And he's doing it, like I said, on more volume. 5.6 field goal attempts from behind the arc. That was of 1.7 increase from his first 10 games. So I don't know what caused the inconsistencies per se in the first 10 games of the season. I think it was just more of him being a rookie and getting a feel for it. I did not see the arc being flat as the actual uh, reason why. All right, James Laird on Twitter asks, what is the earliest we can get James Naji within reason and do we do it? So, With Nick Richards and him just recently coming back from concussion protocol, this was a question that I did receive as Nick Richards was out. I think, what was that, for six six games, I believe? And yeah, the the Hornets center rotation, because you're worried about injuries and in foul trouble, there's not a third center. And Najee is currently playing in the Spanish League where he's in Barcelona. He's playing with uh, our old friend, uh, Willie Hernan Gomez. He's getting more playing time over Najee. Jan Vesely, who is probably more of a power forward, uh, also blocking his path for Najee over there. And so Najee's really not averaging that many minutes per game uh, on that Barcelona team. But that's that's not to say that he's not happy over there. I have no idea you know, his feelings about not getting as much playtime, but he is young. So maybe playtime's not the biggest factor for him and maybe the development and maybe playing with those teammates over there are enough for him to kind of make that growth. And all the reports that I've read have pointed to him staying this year before making that decision next year in terms of whether or not the Hornets can come to an agreement and bring him over to the States in terms of the number that the buyout situation. And this was a conversation that also happened after Summer League as well, even before the Nick Richards injury. Charlotte could pay up to $825,000 for a buyout without it being charged to the team's salary. But once that number starts exceeding $825K, then it starts to be charged as salary. So the Hornets get into a territory where if it requires them to you know, bump up the buyout number, 
then they've also got to kind of factor and be aware of that. And Najee has to be aware of that as well. Uh, the good news is he was a second round pick. So there's not like a rookie scale contract that the Hornets have to adhere to. If he was a first round pick, the 2 million number that's kind of slotted for that like 30th slot, like that's that's the salary that the Hornets would have to, to pay him. So I'm not really sure that this really happens anymore or... You know, maybe, maybe this was only a question because they released Kai Jones. And I will say, I, I did like Najee during summer league. I thought he showed a nose for the ball on the offensive glass. He was actually surprisingly like mobile for the way that he was built. Like he's, he's strong, he's stout, and he just kind of showed some good team concepts on the defensive side of the court, but he's still so young. So if the Hornets are doing this, I feel like they'd just be doing this for the sake of depth. I'm not sure he's propelling this team this season to any kind of higher level. He'd just be like a fill-in you know, for foul trouble or provide some kind of backup if Nick Richards and or Mark Williams gets injured. And, and like I mentioned, he hadn't, he hadn't played back since November 17th, but he did come back against the Timberwolves on Saturday night. So I think this question becomes a little less relevant now that Richards is back, but you know, who knows, maybe the Hornets really like him and would like to, you know, have him play some games in Greensboro for development purposes. But with this buyout, the new um, NBA CBA, I read up on it and maybe this was with the old CBA as well, but it actually prohibits them from using this buyout to induce a two-way contract for him to play in Greensboro. Hornets already have three guys, Bailey, Black, and uh, Teo Maladon on a two-way contract. But so if they did buy him out, it would have to be a regular contract. But I, I do think it's not going to happen this year. You know, as much as I'd like to have him on this roster, I don't I don't think it's all that beneficial for either party. All right. Last question I've got is from Chick Nicholson on Twitter. In light of recent events, I'm assuming he means the Lamello injury. Can NSJ get more run? Now, NSJ has been a fun one to watch. Very active. He's shown some flashes of offensive prowess. Um, you know, he's very quick and jittery in the way that he plays. It's it's very up and down nature. And then heading into the Minnesota game, Smith Jr. was seven of ten on above the break threes. My favorite play of his so far this season was in the Milwaukee game at home, where there was this like transition play where he got this like pitch back from Miles Bridges with all his momentum as a trailer coming up to the three-point line. And this is just like typical Smith Jr. He jabs, he gets the defender off balance, he gets to the middle of the court, and he pulls up for this free-throw line jumper. So I'm not sure why I loved it so much, but I think it just exemplifies the type of player that he is because he's such a quick twitch player. And I think a lot of times when you think of guys that are kind of too quick, they might not be able to play under control, but he was able to transfer that quickness and rise pretty smoothly and comfortably up for a mid-range jumper. So he did not get any minutes against Minnesota as Ish Smith got the minutes, Bryce McGowan's got minutes at the guard position. And I actually thought, like I said, Ish played pretty well in that game. So the question becomes, can NSJ get more minutes with LaMelo being out, maybe, but are you replacing him over Ish, replacing him over McGowan's? They're just, I don't think there's enough minutes to go around. And Cliff has stated this, and I, and I fully agree with him, that 
it's hard to get guys like six minutes here for this player, eight minutes here for that player, and expect them to pick up any kind of rhythm. So if they wanted to cut Ish's minutes in half and have Nick Smith Jr. kind of take over those other half, is that all, you know, is that beneficial to either of those guys? Probably not. They're not going to pick up any kind of rhythm. And so if they do get a hot hand from one of those two, then it's almost like, well, you got to play in 15 minutes at that point. So even with ball out of the rotation, you've got Rosier's, you know, 33, 34, 35 minutes. You got issues going to play about 13 to 15 minutes. I don't know if it leaves a lot of room, especially when you've, you've got to get minutes for Brandon Miller and, and Bryce has been pretty solid too. So I'd like to see it more often. I'm just not sure how feasible it is for NSJ to get minutes here um, unless another injury occurs, which we hope does not happen. So the Hornets, uh, like I mentioned, did lose to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Their record now drops to 6-12. and 12. The Hornets' next two games are against the Chicago Bulls in Chicago on Wednesday and then at home on Friday, December 8th, against the Toronto Raptors. These were the two games that were added late because of the quarterfinals of the in-season tournament. They kind of left this week open um, in terms of whether or not teams would make it on to that knockout round. Hornets obviously did not. So they are playing Chicago and Toronto this week. It's a pretty light schedule. I think it's just Wednesday and Friday. I don't think there's a game Saturday or Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. So it's a pretty light week in terms of the travel, the games, the wear on the body. Um, But we will see uh, the updates as it comes with LaMelo. I know that they said they're going to reevaluate in a week's time. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be available in a week, but they're going to kind of look at that and, and, and go from there. But the Hornets... Like I mentioned at the top of the podcast and with the question that it comes to defense, that is their biggest issue right now, bar none. And if they can't get that figured out, they're going to be trying to outscore opponents and it's just it's just not going to work. So I appreciate everyone uh, tuning in to this quick solo podcast. Appreciate you guys supporting us and we will talk to you guys later. If you join late, this will be out as a full podcast version tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.